InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Many people have a limited number of friends, yet friendships are vital to get the most out of life. How can we make more friends in a time of distraction, fear, and burnout? Here with the story, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Call it a friendship decline. Recent research shows 15% of men have no close friendships at all. Only about 25% of men say they've got six close friends, and even that is down from 50% 30 years ago. Women have also experienced friendship declines, though not as much as men. And it all begs the question, what's the best way to get a strong circle of besties? Joining us now is Marissa Franco, author of Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. Marissa, if these numbers have been declining over 30 years, it must be more than just the pandemic that's responsible, correct? It is, absolutely. Yeah, it's been happening pretty much since the 1950s. And you reported on this research about the steeper friendship decline for men versus women. Do you have a sense of why men's social circles are shrinking? Men face something called homohysteria, which is a fear of being perceived as gay. And so this really limits men from being able to engage in the gamut of behaviors that create and cultivate friendship, like vulnerability, like reaching out to someone to hang out with them, like affirming someone and telling them that you value them, right? These are normal, typical behaviors that we need to create connection. But a lot of men fear, you know, men that I interviewed, if I reach out to him, he might think it's weird. He might think that I'm interested in him, right? Or another man that I interviewed saying, I invited a guy to dinner and he said, Can we bring a third person or go to lunch so it doesn't look weird? And so there's this extra, I guess, shame that we put on men and we really constrict their ability to navigate friendship because so many of the behaviors that are normal and typical in friendship can be stigmatized for them and cause us to stigmatize their perceived sexuality. And so that is part of the reason why men's friendships tend to be less intimate, why men are more likely to have no friends. Now, your book points out three attachment styles in relationships. First, we have secure, in which people assume they're worthy of love. Second is anxious, in which people fear they'll be abandoned and get clingy and overly self-sacrificing. And finally, avoidant, in which they keep others at arm's length. But the fears and negative assumptions are not necessarily correct. They're just our interpretations of how much others like us. Yeah, so there would be correct if all of our relationships were like our earliest relationships, right? That this was true at a certain time, at a time when we developed a sort of template for how people would treat us throughout life. And of course, this template sort of somewhat evolves. But then we go into our new relationships, again, the avoidant people assuming that people are untrustworthy and are going to abandon them. And it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because they invest less in friendships and then people do abandon them or the anxious person afraid that people abandon them. So clinging so close that people need to separate themselves a little bit to get some air and to exert their own identity. And so there's this way that our attachment style is a series of scripts to escape a perceived outcome. But in fact how we tend to act in reaction to our perceived fears actually makes it more likely that they'll come true, unfortunately. 
And you write that people tend to prioritize making romantic connections instead of just finding friends. So should we prioritize making friendships instead? I think we can certainly prioritize both. And having healthy friendship is part of healthy romance. I talk about studies in the book that, for example, if you're going through conflict with your spouse, you release stress hormones in a really unhealthy way unless you have quality connections outside of the relationship. You're more resilient to issues with your marital partner when you have friends outside of the relationship because they continue to stabilize you. And so, you know, it's not that we shouldn't focus on romance, but rather we could focus on both or we could have more options. We could also make it okay that some people would prefer friendship and that's enough of a connection to be fulfilled in our lives as well. We're visiting with Marissa Franco, who's now out with her book, Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. Give us some tips on taking the initiative to make friends. First, don't assume friendship happens organically, because that's actually linked to being lonelier over time. Then you're going to have to initiate by saying something like, hey, it's been great to talk to you. I would love to stay connected. Could we exchange contact information? That probably sounds scary to a lot of people because they fear rejection. So I like to tell people to assume people like you. Because according to the research, when people are told this, even if it's not necessarily true, they become warmer, open, more friendly. And according to the acceptance prophecies, a research term, this just becomes more likely to be true. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And tell us why it's important to express vulnerability. This is another misconception that we have, that when we're vulnerable, we burden people, when in fact, self-disclosure is related to people liking us more. And we also, according to research on something called the beautiful mess effect, when we're vulnerable, we assume people are judging us more than they actually are, and we are discounting how authentic they feel like we are. And, you know, according to this theory called the theory of inferred attraction, people like people that they think like them. And if you're vulnerable with someone, you're conveying to them, I trust you. I like you in some ways, right? And that's what sort of creates more of a deeper foundation of connection for one another. So let's drill down on authenticity that you just mentioned. Is that about being ourselves or not settling for something or someone that we really don't connect with? I define authenticity as who we are when we feel safe and who we are when we're not engaging in defense mechanisms to protect ourselves. And sometimes, for example, people with anxious attachment, they may try to be friends with people that make them feel unsafe because their template is that they have to earn love from other people. And they might give and give and give to these relationships with people that make them feel like they might be abandoned. It's a sort of like defense mechanism in some ways that like, I think that I'm going to be abandoned. I almost feel more comfortable engaging in these relationships where that's true because that gives me a sort of coherent sense of reality. But when we think about who we are when we feel most safe and that being the sort of guiding factor for how we build our relationships, it allows us to get into relationships where we feel safe. And it also allows us to question some of our reactions and allows us to ask ourselves, am I engaging in this as a defense mechanism to protect myself against some feeling or is it authentically how I feel? Do I actually want to end this friendship or do I think that they don't like me? So I'm trying to protect myself against that. So it really helps us piece apart what we actually think and feel when we're not in the state of just wanting to compulsively protect ourselves. And let's talk about not losing friends that we already have. Give us a tip or two to handle conflicts with our friends. 
An interesting study that I read while writing Platonic was that having open empathic conflict is actually linked to deeper intimacy, which suggests that if we have issues within our friendships and we're not talking about them, we actually harm the friendship. I know a lot of the times we don't bring it up because we're afraid that our friends will abandon us or we'll make things worse, but then we literally abandon the friendship and it becomes a more sure thing that the friendship will end. And so we have to be able to talk through issues and problems just like we would have to do in a romantic relationship, right? Like intimacy is intimacy. It inherently requires some sort of maintenance around conflict. But, you know, how we engage in conflict matters more than the fact that we are engaging in conflict. And so healthy conflict requires things like perspective taking, not blaming, sharing things like I feel this way instead of you are this way, you know, asking for the other person's perspective and their experience while you're trying to figure out this conflict with them. And finally, give us a tip or two on being generous to our friends without trying to buy their friendship or otherwise overdoing it. Yeah, when we try to be generous in ways that match our natural desires, our natural joys, it's going to be a lot more sustainable. So if you can think about things you like to do already, whether that's baking or cooking or exercising, and how can I give that to my friend? How can I maybe bake for them, cook for them, be their exercise accountability partner? It's just going to burn us out a lot less. For me, I clearly love sharing information, so I literally created a PowerPoint after I spent some time researching finances to share with my friends. And so I think all of us can think about what naturally brings me joy and how can I share that more with people in an intentional way, and that'll really help us be more generous. Marissa Franco, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.